Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We appreciate hearing from you this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. We do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And today we have a special guest that we're going to have on the show. Okay. And let's see if we go ahead and hook this up right now. We've got Steve Cook. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Man, doing great. Now, Steve, you've written a book about OBD2 diagnosis. And if you would, tell us just a little bit, who is the book geared towards? The book's geared towards technicians, mechanics, and do-it-yourselfers. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You sent me a copy earlier, and I kind of read through it, and there's a lot of really good stuff in there, but I find it's written on a fairly basic level where most people, if you have any mechanical aptitude, you should be able to understand it. Correct. That was done intentionally. Mm -hmm. I taught a vocational program at a high school, Okay. and so you needed to bring things down to a level where where the students could understand it. So that's always been my principle when I'm writing a book is to go ahead and try to simplify it as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I thought you did a really good job with this, and I think the average person that may be listening to the Automotive Hour could probably benefit from that book quite a bit. What is your background? You you mentioned that you used to teach for that. Did you work as a technician originally? Oh, yeah. I started in the business, Lewis, back in 1978. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I've held an ASC Master Certification and L1 designation for like 30 years. I've ran my own shop. I've done some consultant work. Um, I've started apprenticeship programs for national chain. Like I said, I've taught in a vocational setting. I've been a lead tech in various shops that I've worked on, you know. So so I've taken all this years of knowledge and, and learning experience and what I've learned at training sessions and things of that nature and I put it into this book. Okay. It's all part of this book. Well, very, very good. Now, I guess the next question would be, why did you write the book? What prompted you to write this book? Well, what prompted me to write the book was I was doing some work for an automobile manufacturer in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of connection. I had a lot of contact with technicians and field service agents. And the questions that they were asking me just kind of it really baffled me. They'd ask me things, for example, like technicians would ask, like, I got a misfire. What do I do? Hmm. You know, I've put three different catalytic converters on this car, and I still have a 420 code setting up. Mm-hmm. Things of that nature. And, and I've seen vehicles, and you've probably seen it too. They've probably come into your shop. But you see vehicles that have been to a number of different shops, They've thrown all kinds of parts at them. Sometimes they replace the same parts a different shop did, and they still haven't fixed the car. Correct. So it became pretty apparent to me from looking at all this that the problem we got is people just don't know how to properly go about diagnosing OBD2 problems, computer problems on a vehicle. Yeah, I noticed much the same. Even some of the most simple things, the, the most basic things, I find that there's just not a good training regimen in the industry as a whole in fact a lot of guys are pretty good technically but just simple stuff like changing coolant properly or fixing a flat tire properly even uh, that they just kind of fall short on yeah in the book i've got a picture of a battery Mm -hmm. in that book and this is my mother-in-law's car which kind of really floored me 
I told her, her husband passed away, my father-in-law passed away, and I told her, listen, just bring the car up to me, and I'll change the oil and stuff like that. And I, well, the car comes to me one day, and I pop the hood, and it's got a brand-new alternator on it. And I'm looking over at the other side, and there's this battery that's corroded like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I cleaned it up and everything, and I told her, I says, listen, I says, you need to replace this battery. you got a problem here. She took it back to a shop that put the alternator on, and they told her there wasn't anything wrong with it. Hmm. Well, two months later, it was back the same way. So I told her again. I cleaned it up. I said, you've got to replace this battery. It's going to leave you stranded. Well, I got a call about two weeks later. The car was dead. I had to do some, some major work to the wiring harness, fix all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she drives the car off, gets it home. Gives me a call and says, what did you do to my car? And I'm thinking, oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. go. Yeah, here we go. I says, what do you mean? She says, this car has never ran this well a day in its life. Yeah. I says, I said, the battery was bad on the car. It screwed up the alternator and that. I said, it would have taken out that new alternator. So, yeah, yeah, the basics is where a lot of people screw up. They don't look at the basics. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what we talk about in the book first. Let's do the basics. Let's make sure we check the charging systems, the batteries, things of that nature. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but we need to make sure those things are operating the way they're supposed to. Oh, absolutely. You know, we get that a lot of times. Someone will come in and say, look, I've had my car, yak, 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 and they rattle off all the stuff they've changed and the places they've been. And I said, well, we're going to start off checking the charging system, doing all the basic stuff. Well, well, all that's been, oh, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm going to do it again because I have to know that it's correct. I said, would you like right. me to get into some real evolved, you know, scope work and all that, and I hadn't checked the battery, and then come back after I've spent an hour diagnosing to tell you you need a battery? Yeah. I mean, that wouldn't well, make sense. Yeah. Well, I had a, I went to a, a seminar where a guy was teaching him. He used to be the lead diagnostic tech for Honda Motor Company in the United States. Mm-hmm. When nothing could get fixed, he got sent out to fix that vehicle. Mm-hmm. And you know what he told me? He said two out of ten times when he worked on a car, the only thing that was wrong with it when he went to check it out was that we had a bad battery. Yeah. Yep. That was it. He said, I had to lie on the tickets and stuff that he wrote up, the information he wrote up, because if I didn't, he said, these people would be getting fired. <laughs> you know, well, maybe they should be fired. I, I don't know. Of course, we all overlook stuff at some point in time, and mm-hmm. you know. But... That's the whole point of this book. Let's get in a routine where we do certain things that's automatic every single time. And if you get into that where you're doing that repeatedly, chances of you missing something is going to be a whole lot slimmer. Absolutely. Now, could you hold on just one second, Steve? I got a call on the other line. Sure, go ahead. All right, hold tight. All right, we're going to go to our phone line. We've got Perry on the line. Good morning, Perry. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing Good great, morning. sir. I got an issue with my wife's car. She has a, a 2000. 17 Nissan Sentra. Okay. She got an extended warranty on it. She had a problem with the radio. Brought it in to get that replaced, and she mentioned to him that her brake pedal felt soft. And she said it would sometimes go halfway down to the floor. Well, when the person was in there moving the vehicle, it did exactly that. Went halfway down to the floor, and they looked at it. And, you know, I mean, when she told me about it, I thought, well, okay, master cylinder. An issue with the master cylinder. Well, they Man. said there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. She said, uh, bring it back to another another dealer i'm just wondering is there a way to test that how you know just your average joe test this thing this master cylinder pretty difficult yeah. yeah pretty difficult without the proper stuff i gotta tell you most of the time perry it's not going to be the master cylinder it's probably going to be some type of malfunction abs unit by our 
experience. Yeah, right. Now, you can test a master cylinder, but you have to have block-off plugs where you can remove the two lines, screw block-off plugs, in, and then if the pedal is rock hard and doesn't go down, then you know it's not the master cylinder. But that involves opening up the hydraulic system, which I, I recommend as a last resort. Mm-hmm. We check everything else first. And if we don't find anything else before we get to there, then that is the last resort to start disassembling the hydraulic side. I would want to do, like Brian said, just a complete check of the basic braking system because something loose anywhere in the braking. We even had one time a guy had a bad wheel bearing on the car and the wheel would cock in, which would push the piston in on the caliper. And then when you hit the brakes next time, the pedal would go real low. So they need to start out with just a basic inspection. How often does it do it? I haven't driven it much, mm-hmm. but uh, she said it may happen. At least if she's driving it uh-huh. around town, it might go once or twice. Yeah, as long as it'll happen frequently enough where they can duplicate it in the shop, then they should be able to find that without too, too much difficulty. Problem is, most of the time with a master cylinder, it's not going to be intermittent. It's going to do it all the time. And if you just kind of hold moderate pressure on it with your foot, it'll just slowly sink under your foot. You pump it, it'll come up and then slowly sink again. But in our experience, that's not very often the problem, particularly on a newer vehicle. More often, it's one of the valves and ABS units hanging and bleeding the pressure off. At least that's what we've experienced a lot more. But then again, anything that moves in that system, any kind of slack anywhere in the system, it could be something even in the brakes not assembled properly, you know, it's moving. So. I mean, well, I, I can take it. She she is hard on the brake. Yeah, I know that. yeah, but that should yeah, but that shouldn't, shouldn't affect this. You know, the way we no. we've got block off device where we can block all the lines off on the car, and what we start with is block all four wheels off. Press if the pedals rock hard, then that's great. Start removing the block offs one at a time. That way you can see which wheel, if any wheel, affects it. If no one wheel affects it then you know, or if it still does it with all the wheels blocked off, then you know you're either into the master or the ABS unit, and then you can block the ABS unit off separately. It's just kind of labor-intensive to do, so you want to try to inspect and check the simple stuff first. And a lot of times those ABS units will not set a code because they don't consider that being a, a problem. Right. So it doesn't Valve turn the light on. internally. It's right. Not, not malfunction. It's not a circuit code and anything like that. So even though the light's not coming on, it's just the valve doesn't seat. I, I got you. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate your help, man. I'm starting to lose y'all on the, the Okay, radio. man. Well, thanks for calling, Perry. All right. All right. Thank y'all, man. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. We got to take our first quick little break. We'll be right back with Steve Cook. Ever plan to motor west? Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. And today we're talking to Mr. Steve Cook, who's written a book on OBD2 diagnosis. And Steve, 
I'm sorry I have to put you on hold there before, but um, it was just a caller calling in local. We've got the book you've written. It it goes in depth, not only just on diagnosis, but how sensors work and how to test some sensors and the difference in the sensors. I thought that was a particularly good part of the book. Yeah, what I did there, the the whole point of testing some sensors, that what I tried to do in the book is show that engineers, when they design these systems on the vehicles, they're not constantly reinventing the wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a potentiometer, all potentiometers basically test the same thing. Mm-hmm. If it's a temperature sensor, like a coolant sensor or air charge sensor, they basically, they all test the same way. So if we know how to test one, we're pretty much there with, with testing the systems. We just need to know, well, let's take like a TPS, a potentiometer, okay? Mm-hmm. What do we need to know? We need to know we got good voltage reference, right? Right. Good ground, and we need to know we got a good signal going back to the PCM. It's simple. It's a simple process. I, I know you probably read some some uh, flow charts, some mm-hmm. in some manufacturers repair manuals, and they run you through a whole oh, gambit yeah. of things. And, and then it, it, and it gets, then when you get to the end, it says test with a known good product. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I say in the book. And it and it's so so confusing. It, it gets confusing. I mean, you know, these poor techs are doing all these different things, and they don't need to. It just gets it, it really messes with the mind <laughs> it really does. It does well i think it part of it you know the manufacturers have a vested interest in cars not being too easy to fix cars mm-hmm. are easy to fix reliably every time then people will be a lot less likely to go buy a new car i don't think anything drives us to a new car fast than a car they just can't get fixed or one that spent a lot of money trying to get fixed yeah so. yeah i have to agree with you there I, you know they make a lot of money off these cars anymore i know they say they don't but the manufacturer Mm-hmm. You know, they want to sell a new car. Is what oh, they absolutely. Want to do. Absolutely. That's you the business know. they're in. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know how old you are, Lewis, but if you remember back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Very well. <laughs> in the 80s, if you were working in a dealership, the manufacturer didn't want to pay you diagnostic time for Correct. Anything. Right. Correct. If you had a mass airflow sensor bad on a car, it was three tenths to replace That's the mass right. airflow sensor. That's right. Did not so pay a diagnosis. Tech do? Yeah. What a tech do? Change if you like parts. me, you got a hammer. And bam, it's bad. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, you moved on. and you moved on. And that's, too, when you look at that mentality and stuff, mm-hmm. when you look at that, that's why a lot of these techs just can't diagnose vehicles because there's no emphasis or value being placed on the diagnostic end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think and only I think, now are we starting to see where people, people pretty rarely, you know, our shop is has a basically a culture of diagnosis. That's where we came from. And we, I started that company in 1974 and worked other places before that. So that was all, and not so much a problem now when people come in when you mention diagnosis, but back then that was a very foreign concept. And when yeah. everybody else was telling them something different, it was pretty much a hard sale. But eventually people came to see that the reason to diagnose stuff is because it saves money. It's cheapest, cheapest way to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's like I say in the book. You're going to run out of money before you run out of gas. Oh, absolutely. I think you probably say that yourself, too. <laughs> I have said you know. <laughs> and Yeah, it's just an absolute fact. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you take the cheap white part. Yeah, white, white box boxes, mm-hmm. White box parts. Well, that's the most expensive ones you can get. Expensive. Well, those are generally going to be the most expensive one you will ever get because you put it on and you still don't know you got a known good part. So it continues to do the same thing. Well, now you go off on a tangent or a tirade of spending money on other stuff, whereas that was the original problem. You just didn't fix because the part was defective. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen that, too. Yeah, never <laughs> assume a new part is a known good part. <laughs> well, you know what a friend of mine says new stands for. Mm-hmm. 
never ever worked. <laughs> <laughs> never had to work before, right? Yeah. So absolutely. Now, Steve, where can people get a copy of your book? Okay. Well, it's it's really simple. You can go to Amazon or you can go on eBay and you just type in OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy, mm-hmm. and it'll take you right there. Or you can Google search it. There you go. Yeah. Now, you've also been kind enough to make three books available to us, and we're going to give those out. But I thought, because the podcast generally runs one week behind, so the stuff we're talking about today, most of our podcast listeners won't hear until next week. Mm -hmm. So what I thought is that starting next week and for the weeks following that, the first person who calls in and requests a book will get a free copy of your book. Hand signed, correct? Yes, it's already been signed. There you go. I already got a a little note on it and my signature. Perfect. My, yeah. my chicken scratch. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, yeah, it's there. So, But I gave you those books to give to your listeners at your discretion. Well, very, very good. Now, a couple of other things I just wanted to mention on the book. One thing, a lot of people will come in and say, well, I've already had a diagnosis done. And you say, okay, what do you mean? Well, I went to a parts store and they gave me the code. That's not a diagnosis <laughs> at all. No, at very, no. very best, that is the starting, starting point, point. Right, for a diagnosis. Well, here's the thing people need to understand about codes. In most cases on a card, they, even though the code the, the code library has expanded dramatically, mm-hmm. the computer is trying to tell you a story, basically. It's trying to say, hey, I've got this problem here, this and that. If you look at a code that says, oh, you got an O2 sensor bad, you go throw an O2 sensor right. on it, it's probably not going to fix it. Right. Because it's trying to say, hey, I've got XYZ problem. Right, I expect you know. this much voltage, and I'm getting this much voltage, or something to that effect right. is what it's saying. Right, and, and it's up to you to try and figure it out from there. Well, and you mentioned also the generic side of the OBD2 and the emission side, which are two totally different things. Mm-hmm. You know, Basically, what most people get is the emission side, which is, like you said, just a generic description of what the scan mm-hmm. tool interprets from those codes. And then you have the generic side, which is more the raw data. And a lot of people do not realize that that is even available to them. Yeah, well, and that too, and, and your really cheap scan tools that are out there mm-hmm. are your basic generic variety. Mm-hmm. But it don't give you in, it, it don't get as in depth in the information that you need, such as mode six data. Mm-hmm. The mode six data can really help you out when you're in a pinch. It really can, mm-hmm. it's, it's, as you know. I'm sure you use it. But there again, here's what it all comes to, Lewis. One, whatever equipment you got, you got to know how to use it. That's you know right. What I mean, you really need to know your equipment. And number two, you need to know when your education, your tools and equipment that you have just can't help you anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, a do-it-yourselfer is not going to have the tools and equipment that you have in your shop. Correct. And it comes a point in time when you've got to be able to say, okay, I need to go get help. Well, it's you know, I it's need, just a lot I cheaper. To... It's just less expensive to pay someone to tell you what's wrong than to start throwing parts. Because, I mean, parts well, today are three, four, five hundred bucks a pop. Oh, it, yeah. It's not like back well, in the 70s when you could buy stuff for $10, $12 each. And, and I can recall back in the early 60s even where a car would come in with maybe a misfire well, first thing you put plugs and wires on it that didn't fix right. it when you put some points and a condenser in it that didn't fix it you rebuild a carburetor and somewhere in all that you got it fixed but the guy walked out with a 35 dollar repair bill so it wasn't too bad but you try right. that now you're gonna have a couple thousand bucks and you may not even be close to the problem well i had uh, i told this story before to some other people i had a guy he must have dropped a thousand dollars trying mm-hmm. to fix his car 
and he brought it to me, and he says, can you look at it? And I told him, yeah. I said, it's $100 an hour, minimum charge, right. one hour. So I took the car, and I walked back to him, hand the keys 15 minutes later, said, your car is fixed. Right. He had a bad ground. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah absolutely. That's all it was, yep. bad ground. And, of course, he didn't want to pay that $100 bill until I well, said, what would, you know, what's cheaper? How much money Why? would you have spent? Well, he already you spent know, a thousand. Yeah, he just spent like, he yeah. spent a grand already. All right. Well, that's what I told him. I, deal. Said, I said, I said, what was the better deal, me fixing for the hundred or you not fixing for a thousand? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's right. So, okay. well, Steve, I tell you, we're coming up on our midterm break here. But if you would just one more time give everybody the name of the book. Okay, the name of the book is OBD two, Roman numeral two, mm-hmm. Diagnostics Made Easy. Okay, and your name is Steve Cook. Uh-huh. And they can get that at either Amazon, Amazon, eBay. Yeah, and you can also go out on eBay and mm-hmm. get it. If you get it from eBay, you're buying it directly from me. Okay. And there is, in the continental U.S., I do not charge shipping. Well, very, good. very good. And yeah. good, good book, good read. I think just by anybody who works in their own car and even technicians. Some of the techs, yeah. Could probably mm-hmm. benefit a good deal from this. Well, I sure appreciate yeah. you coming on today and sharing your Saturday morning with us. All right, thank you for having me. I really do. All right, Steve, thanks a lot for calling in, man. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take our second little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. But you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, with the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And we're going back to our final We've got Matthew online. Good morning, Matthew. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I got a quick question for you. you. Maybe you can help me track it down. I got a problem. Okay, go ahead. So I have a, a 1969 Camaro. I just got everything rewired in it. Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble. Like when I run my air conditioner now, I notice that my car will start trying to die on me. I don't know if it. Would you think it's probably the alternator, or would it be a bad battery? Probably neither one. I would suspect. Is that a carbureted car, or does it have injection? Carbureted. Carbureted on. I would really. Look, the first thing I'd want to do, Matthew, is put a tachometer on it if you don't have one. And with the AC off, see where your idle is, how many RPM it's idling. Turn the AC on and see what the RPM changed to. Okay. Because most of the time, see what's happening, when you cut that AC on, you're throwing about a 40-horsepower drag on that engine. If the idle is not real good to start with, what's going to happen is that when you put that extra load on, it's not going to idle and it's going to die. And carburetors are notorious for that. With injection, it can kind of deal with that. It's got a sensor that tells it, okay, I'm putting more load on the engine, so the idle control servo opens up and raises the idle and all that. Well, carburetor couldn't do that. 
Okay. So very some, some of them actually had a kick up solenoid when you turn the air conditioning. Later on, on they did. It would kick the idle up mm-hmm. manually on the carburetor itself. Yeah, it had like a little solenoid in there that could just kick it up when it sensed pressure on the AC circuit. And you might be able to rig something like that on this one without too too much difficulty if it doesn't have it already. If it has it, that may just not be functioning. But I would be suspecting, like I said, the, the easiest way to diagnose the problem is look at your RPM, and let's say it's sitting at, it should be around 550, 600, normal, yeah. sitting in neutral, idling. Cut the AC on. If it starts dropping down to 5, 450, that's why it's going to die, because it's just not turning fast enough to keep running. If that's what's happening, then you're going to have to address the idle problem. And you may be able to rig a solenoid, and if it never, ever dies any other time, like Brian said, there are some little solenoids that what they can do is you put a pressure switch in the system or just go off one of the pressure switches that are in the system to where when it senses the AC on, then it just kicks the idle up a little bit. Okay. That would probably and be the easiest way to do like it. Would you recommend like electronic fuel injection or just leave the car and try to do Well, it just depends on what you want to accomplish. Yeah. I mean, if you want to keep the car original, you stay with the carburetor, but carburetors just never did do a really great job and today they do a less great job because we got different kinds of fuel and all that sort of thing well and when you were running a carburetor everybody was running a carburetor and everybody, so was, everybody used was used to it dying i can remember having one it died five times backing out the driveway when yeah. it was cold and you just didn't think too much about it you learned now, how to drive with two feet <laughs> yeah today's cars it dies one time it's in the shop yeah you know people just don't the standards have just right. risen so much they have because people are used to injection which is just ideal from a standpoint of dealing with these kind of conditions and so people are just a lot lot more picky today than they were at one time sounds good i appreciate it okay man thanks for calling matt bye-bye all right going back to our phone lines we've got chris online good morning chris oh hey mr lewis yes sir love the show thank you the website uh, you guys are just a public service i tell you really i i guess i did think up an automotive question because i was just calling about the book really you know the discussion there with steve i was like you know and being you guys like the, the resource he's put out i'm mm-hmm. certainly interested in it but it's just the kinds of things you've been teaching for years you know mm-hmm. um so i guess my my question is i'm about to change a, just a boot on a, a rack opinion okay and i guess now i hadn't changed a, a tie rod in before but I've done a lot of other more difficult mm-hmm. things. And so yeah, I was just going to put some paint on the threads. And if I get it back right there, I, it seems to drive okay. I guess I'm good or else uh, I need to go ahead and realign. At that I mean, point. you'll have it close. If you mark it and put it back, you'll have it real close. I don't think it's close enough to say to leave it alone. Yeah, I, I would I would recommend at least having the tote reset on it. Now, watch, too, the giveaway there, Chris. If you watch your steering wheel position, let's say your wheel is perfectly straight and level when you're driving straight. If the toe changes, that wheel's going to move slightly one way or the other. If the, move, if the wheel steering wheel is slightly skewed either way after replacing the tie rod, you're definitely going to have to get it aligned. Okay. Because no two tie rods are stamped exactly the same. The threads aren't cut the same. So even though you are counting them and all, they're just not manufactured. I mean... I'm not going to say that you couldn't get two that are exactly the same, but for the most part, the manufactured tolerance on it, that's why it's threaded, yeah. so you can adjust it, because they just yeah, don't well, make them exactly the same. Okay, changing the boot. Right. Right. Like I said, you can mark, you know, mark it, take it apart, change the boot, and when you put it back together, put it right back where you had it or close to where you had it. And like Lewis was saying, if you drive it and the steering wheel is now not straight anymore, mm-hmm. then you know the toe is not correct. Yeah, if it's changed at all, then something's changed in the toe. Right. So it would be okay. wise to have the, yeah, the toe it, reset It won't on affect it. the camber or caster at all, but it could affect the toe. 
And I mean, if you're real, real handy, you could go in and mark the two tires, take a tape measure, go across front and back, front and back, and get a reading there, and make sure that reading is exactly the same. And that well, that's would, what my papa taught me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you can do it that way. He sure did. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we again. Yeah, you guys are great. I oh. love the music too. Okay, well, thank you. Chris. Where are you calling from, Chris? Okay, good and, deal. But, but I come to you guys. If I can't. Say Oh, well. and you know what's so funny too is just coming to you guys over the years. I remember one of the first times I brought something in. I called and and, and when working up the ticket, mm-hmm. is it Elizabeth? But yeah. she was saying, she said, "Well, I told her what I thought it was." Okay, uh-huh. she said, "Okay, well, what symptoms? You know, what's the real what, what's happening?" And so, you know, I told that, and then uh, of course I was wrong. <laughs> and so my family who comes to me so often, it, it's the same kind of thing. I'm I, just. You know, I have to get past what they may think it is. Right, right. And uh, so now, a lot of times, they'll come to me and just go ahead and tell me the symptoms. And that's right, right to the chest. Yeah, that that's the way you fix the car. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, is there? You guys have said something about the book. Yeah, Maybe you'd have some copies. Yeah, we got three copies available, and we're going to start next week, Chris, because we want to give everybody an opportunity. And people who listen okay. on podcasts wouldn't have heard the show until next week. But the first caller on the eighth, the fifteenth. And the twenty second, which right. will be the three weeks following, the first caller who calls in and asks for a copy will get it. Well, I might try again, but I, I want to get one of those in my hands nonetheless. So uh, there you go. I'm scribble that down. And again, you guys are a, are a public service. And well, it, it's, thank uh, you. Not unnoticed, and thank you so much. Well, good deal. Well, thank we appreciate you, you man. All right. Bye bye. All right, we're going back to our phone lines. Got Amy on the line. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. I have a question, I guess, maybe more of an opinion than a question. Okay. Um, I have a daughter, and she's 22 years old, and she pulls a horse trailer, and her dad was killed, my husband, in 2015. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we had a mechanic shop, and he was just exclusively a diesel mechanic. Mm-hmm. So now she has a late model 7.3, okay. and it's starting to give her problems, and she has the opportunity to buy another vehicle. Okay. A new one, or almost new one. So what I want to know is what's diesel versus gas, because she doesn't have her daddy to work on it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know whenever you pop the hood to change the oil, you're going to spend $100 yourself on a diesel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So your opinion in diesel versus gas, I how, guess. She, how she big a load? Probably a 10,000-pound trailer. Diesel. Because it's yeah. a, got little quarters <laughs> and it's loaded with yeah. bad horses. Diesel, and, yeah, diesel. A gas motor is not going to be able to hold up under those conditions nearly as well as a diesel. That's what a diesel is designed for. Is right. towing a large load like that. Now, I would okay. not be very quick to get rid of that 7.3 because that no, is... No, we're never getting rid of the 7.3. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the best engine <laughs> that Ford ever built. Yeah. Ford's not come up with anything close to that, no, no, in no. my opinion. You're going downhill if you get anything else. No, but... when we had the mechanic shop, we when the six liters came out, mm-hmm. people just... Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was terrible. There were people who made livings just on that one engine. Oh, we did. <laughs> when, the, when the warranties ran out, that's what we did. Yeah, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. You know, on my website, I've got an article on diesel versus gasoline and listing all the different advantages and stuff. You might just kind of peruse that article. Just type in diesel or something on the website in the search bar, and it'll give you some other things to think about. But I would say carrying 10, pulling 10,000 pounds, I would be using yeah. a diesel. Just it's gonna outdo anything else that gas can do. Now there are a lot of people who don't need a diesel engine, and right. like you said, the maintenance is higher on and, and repairs are higher on diesel. However, right. you got a certain uh, certain thing you're trying to do with it, right? She Very pulls specific it exclusively use. for the horses. Yeah, right. otherwise she drives a car. Yeah, I would definitely yeah. I would try to keep what you got. Just you know, see what's wrong with it and have that repaired. 
I think that is the best idea also. I appreciate your time. All righty. Thank Thanks, you, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the Automotive Hour, we always enjoy you calling. And we're going to take our third and last little break real quick, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. Zelt check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways, there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home. And I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo! Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alderson, president of Auto. Hello, <laughs> president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by the side. Between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call, 291-6901. And you happen to miss your prime opportunity today to get your questions answered live. You can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button. A little form is going to pop up. Fill out the form with the correct information and hit the send button. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. We were talking to Steve earlier, uh-huh. Steve Cook, who wrote the book on OBD2 Diagnosis Made Easy. And I think it's a really, really good book. Now, when I first started trying to make things better, and was, the first thing I did, I looked at improper diagnosis, looked at it, stratified all the data. And after hundreds and hundreds of these things we've reviewed, I found out that diagnosis starts a lot before you even look at the car. Sure. Because if you don't get the right complaint, and now maybe this isn't quite as big of an issue with a do-it-yourselfer because in his mind, he knows what the car is doing. Right. But unfortunately, when people bring the car in the shop, the first thing they want to do is start telling you what they think it is. Now, I appreciate that's on your mind. That's what you want to talk about. But what a shop needs to know to fix the car is, one, what is it doing that you don't want it to do? Or two, what is it not doing that you do want it to do? When you pick it up. They have got to have that information. So when you call them, you say, well, I need a front-end alignment. Okay. Well, the first question is going to be, why do you think you need an alignment? Yeah, why what is the car doing that you not, don't want it to do? They're not being condescending. What they have to know is, what is the car doing you won't fix? Because I'd say, what, once, twice, three times a week, so they'll call and say, I want a front, I need a front-end alignment. Okay, why do you need a front-end alignment? Well, my, we steer, go through it. well my steering wheel shaking. Yeah, my steering wheel shakes at 45 miles an hour. Right. Well, well that has nothing to do with the front-end alignment. That is not going to be an alignment. A lot of people think it does, sure. but it does not. Or people will call in and say, well, I, I need a new battery. Okay, why do you need a new battery? Well, because my battery goes dead, and then I jump it off, and it runs okay, and then it goes dead again. Well, that could be the alternator's not charging the battery. Very well. That could, could, be. could be a, a loose cable. cable on the battery. That could be the PCM not sending a signal to the battery. Or to the, to alternator, the alternator to, to charge. charge the battery. Right. So on and on and on and on. You know, when a shop tries to 
I would not ever trust a shop that did not do that. Right. If you call and give them what you want, that's kind of like a pair of hands or a big menu board. It's kind of like you go to McDonald's and say, I want a, a filet of fish sure. sandwich and a soft drink and a pair of That's what you get. Thing of french fries. That's what you get. A shop cannot ever operate that way. And the ones that do are not ever going to fix your car. Mm-hmm. What they need to know is, like I said, what is it doing that you do not want it to do or what is it not doing that you do want it to do? then they will figure out what service is going to address those problems. But when you go in and you request a specific service, the worst shops are just going to do that service, give you the car back, and you can still have the same exact problem. The better shops are going to quiz you and try to find out what it is you're trying to fix. Right. And I know sometimes people will get aggravated at me. I mean, I've already had it diagnosed. I know what it is. Well, okay, but let's start out with what it's doing because this is the information i got to have. Could be that it was diagnosed wrong. That's what I was just fixing to Could to be lead that you to. went to the first guy and told him that, mean. and he didn't know what he was trying to fix. And so he gave you a price on something. Well, that's not a diagnosis. A price on a specific repair is not a diagnosis. Right. That is just how much he is going to charge you to do a certain and, item if everything's the way you say it is. And I'm sorry, but if you know somebody else diagnoses something, I want to diagnose it myself. Yeah. I want to understand that, hey, when, when I do this job, that when I get done, it's going to be fixed. Well, very, very often people will come in, well, I've already paid for a diet. I don't want to pay again. I'll say, okay, I appreciate that. But let me ask you this. If we change this part and it's still doing the same exact thing, then who's at fault? Right. You can't be mad at me. <laughs> you cannot be mad. I, <laughs> I'm if, doing it. If that's the way you want to do it, God bless you. You tell me right. what part you won't change. I will change that part. I'll guarantee it's done right. But if you still got the same exact problem, it's on you. Right. Now, by me going in and checking and testing. And again, a diagnosis is not plugging in a machine. No, it's and getting not. A, a lot of times people, well, how much do you charge to put it on the machine? Well, there is there no is machine. No, yeah, right. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of pieces of equipment that a tech will use depending on the symptoms, depending on a lot of things. Now, a code is strictly a place to start. Right. That's one thing. You're going to read the code. That's going to tell you what circuit is generating the problem. But kind of like Steve gets into in his book, the description you get with that code actually comes out of the machine itself. That comes from whatever scan, scan tool, tool you're using. You could use two scan tools on the same car and get two different descriptions. Right. Because that's just a generic list that when this code appears, say this. And it was the way the software for that particular tool was written. That is correct. And if you take a factory scan tool, you may get one description. If you take a generic scan tool, you may get a different description. Sure. And it could both relate to basically the same thing. But none of them, neither tool, is saying to change this part. It right, just saying there's a problem work. in this circuit. Well, let's just take, like Steve said, a code PO430, which is CAT below efficiency, mm-hmm. catalytic converter below efficiency. That does not mean the converter is bad. It does not. It simply means it's interpreting that this converter is not doing its job. Doing its job. And the way it does that is a sensor before the converter that it's reading. It's watching a pattern go up and down. Then it's reading a second sensor after the converter and expects that one to be holding basically steady. Right. Now, by comparing the two, it knows if the converter is below efficiency. But let's say the upstream sensor is bad. It's got a flat line. It looks at it. It looks at the one after. It's got a flat line. It's going to say the converter is bad because both sensors are doing the same thing. Right. However, the problem is the sensor upstream. You know, another we saw one the other day. The manifold had a crack in it, mm-hmm. and it was inducing a fresh air right. that it wasn't well, supposed to have. Oxygen was entering the exhaust. That happens very often where you can have an exhaust leak. Oxygen is is reaching the exhaust. Now the downstream sensor, all it sees is oxygen reaching. It has too much oxygen left in the mixture or in the exhaust after the converter. It's going to tell you the converter's bad. Sure, 
Well, it's an exhaust leak. It's, right. It's not the converter bad at all. This this particular vehicle had had four or five uh, oxygen sensors at four or five different shops put in it. Mm-hmm. And we found that crack in the, in the pipe, yep. welded it up, and fixed the vehicle. Yeah. We had one time a good while ago, and guy had a deal where he kept op, uh, showing an oxygen sensor bad. And at some point in time, someone had done some wiring work on it, and they had crossed the wires between the two sensors so that the bank one was reading Green bank on the other two side. Bank, yeah, so on. So it was driving driving the mixture crazy because it was adjusting for the wrong cylinder. The wrong kept side. Changing the yeah. cel- kept changing the sensors, and, of course, it was the wrong side. So it's just any number of things like that that can happen. Sure. Let's see if we can sneak another right. call in for the Got to get out here. We're going to talk to John. Good morning, John. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Doing this morning. Wonderful. I got a situation. Okay. Okay, I got a t- 1997. It's a Mark 8. It's a Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And uh, the compressor's gone bad on it. Okay. And I have a, well, I have a uh, 2001 Lincoln Town Car, same 4.6 liter, you know, engine. In a long story short, I thought I read some on the internet. You know, if it's on the internet, it's got to be right. Anyway, <laughs> I saw some that said that. All the compressors basically are the same on those uh, those model in- engines, given the you know the, the year difference. There's the compressors are still the same. I'm not sure. I'm not man. They they make so many little yeah. changes. I mean, even yep. one manufacturing plant to another can use a different one. You just yep. have to get them side by side and look at them. Or what you could do is get the VIN numbers off both cars. Okay. Call the dealership up. and give him those VIN numbers and ask for the part number. If it's the same part number, then, then you, yeah. you got the same part. Okay. Now, let me ask you, uh, you two professionals, a question. If, how does this insult you, or, or do you feel offended if a guy brings in a, a – say, for instance, he brings in a car, and he says, look, I've got the proper uh, compressor for this vehicle. I just don't know how to install it. Mm-hmm. Depends which, on the situation. Which, yeah, John, I would not install a used compressor on the car just nope. because I have no way to test it, no way to know if it's good, no way. Okay. And what I what I may do is spend a whole lot of money going on here putting all this stuff together and still mm-hmm. have that or another problem. Well, and then <laughs> it, it, if if the used one catastrophically fails, yeah, then you're in the whole take all the rest right. of the system out. So yeah. you need to yeah. know what's wrong with the first one. Number one, make sure the compressor is the problem. And then the other side of that coin is, in my experience, a compressor never just fails. If the compressor is bad, something made something. it go bad. Well, and, the clutch on this old one that went out, really, it's the clutch, dude. It didn't seem like the whole compressor was gone. It's just that front clutch. Yeah, if just now, the clutch is bad, you may be able to replace just the clutch. Right. Those are available okay. separately on many of those. And that may be a whole lot better deal than to go in and put another compressor that you don't know is good or bad. Okay, I got you. See, so that's you. relatively easy, so long as the snout on the front of the compressor is not messed up. Sometimes when that bearing seizes up, it'll tear that up, too. But, like, if just the call's bad, you can yeah. buy just the call and change that. Now, okay. John, on that particular compressor, there's some shims that go under the front drive plate. Uh-huh. And what happens, that drive plate wears over the years, and the gap gets too wide, and you have to right. remove shims. And you may just have to remove some shims to fix that problem. Okay, okay. Well, let me let me try that option instead of before I get myself in too yeah. deep. Yeah, before you go too deep, I'd try that for sure. Okay. Okay, okay. man. Thanks, right, thanks, sir. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. We're out of time. We have to start getting on out of here. Tell everybody I much appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Find a written review and fill it out for us, please. There you go. Re- fill that written review out. That moves up in the rankings and... Gets Puts more us. people listening to the show and really makes us feel good about what we're doing. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.